Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. We live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Christmas at my house this year means getting presents wrapped and suitcases packed for our trip to Grandma's house this year. It's been two years since my children have seen her. Now, if you have children, you know that's a lot of time to miss. But now that they're fully vaxxed and we're boosted, we felt safe. But this latest COVID surge and Omicron variant meant another scramble to purchase at-home tests before we get on the road for a 12-hour road trip. How about you? Today, where we live, we want to hear how you're planning to see your family and friends. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Now, we know gathering together is good for our mental health. The latest news about this virus has felt like a gut punch. Coming up, we talk to one of our favorite faith leaders in Connecticut about the importance of connection during this time. I want to welcome back to our show first, Dr. Albert Coe. He's a physician and epidemiologist at the Yale School of Public Health. He was an advisor or is still an advisor to Governor Lamont and was co-chair of the Connecticut Reopen Advisory Committee or group. Dr. Albert Coe, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, uh, Lucy, for the kind invitation. It's great to be back. So I mentioned those uh, at-home tests that have been hard to get your hands on. Those instructions can be tricky to follow. I mean, what's your take with this latest surge and the scramble now? Uh, so many people are still trying to find a way to be with family. Yeah, so so Lucy, the most important thing about the home tests is really to understand uh, what's the best time to use them and to get yourself tested. And actually that best time is right before you're going to the gathering. Uh, these tests um, are very good at identifying if somebody is infectious or able to spread the virus. And so a negative te- test means that you're, you're likely safe to be with others and to, to meet with other family. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not infected. The sensitivity of these home tests is about 50 to 70 percent. So if you're really sick, you know, or if you have really any doubts or had a high, you know, risk exposure, it's best to get the PCR test, which has been kind of our tried and true uh, way of determining whether you've been infected with COVID or not. Are you pleased or worried about the, yeah, we've been hearing from listeners that even trying to get a PCR test has been difficult in the lead up to the holiday break? Yeah, I think this is, you know, one of the unfortunate consequences of the Omicron, you know, variant, you know, which is so highly trans- transmissible. I think each day here in the United States, we have over 200,000 um, cases and many tests being being done each day, which has caused this shortage. And, and this seems like this is kind of we're reliving what we passed through the, the previous waves. When we have an epidemic, there are testing shortages. Hopefully, the Biden administration administration initiatives will be um, rolling out rapid tests and access to these rapid tests, uh, you know, hopefully in the, in the short time. 
Again, we'd love to hear from you as we are all getting ready for the holiday break, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Albert, have you uh, thought about um, traveling around the holiday? Are you staying uh, local? No, I'm staying local here with my my family, small group, you know, you know there are immediate family members uh, here. You know, we're certainly concerned about uh, the Omicron wave, and we are also testing people um you know who are coming into our home i have a 95 year old uh father and so we want we want to be extra safe and cautious especially with him around so what does that mean for families uh, because there's the the tests as we mentioned but also maybe the 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 reality that keeping a mask on when you're around particular uh, members of the family some who might be immunocompromised or elderly just to be extra careful yeah, so Lucy, you know, we're in a new wave of the pandemic, uh, this one being fueled by the Omicron. So it's wise to be safe and cautious. And, and going back to what we know works, um, you know, that's limiting gathering sizes. That's wearing masks when possible. Obviously, when during the holiday meals, uh, one has to take off their masks. And, and as I mentioned before, getting tested before these gatherings, um, you know, surely the Shortfall. My wife has been running around CVSs and Walgreens trying to find rapid tests. So that certainly, you know, is an issue. But I think reducing the number of contacts you have and reducing the gathering sizes uh, is one good way. Uh, you know, we've done that in the past. We did that last last year during during the holidays and, and wearing masks when possible. You mentioned the surge, uh, Governor Lamont, the other day saying the COVID positivity rate in our state is is 9%. We've heard so much about Delta. Now there's Omicron. You know, you're an epidemiologist. Is it disappointing to you that we are at this place again? Well, I, th- I think many of us, um, you, know, uh, you know, could predict that something like this would happen. And this really highlights, you know, how we live in an you know, interconnected world and where you know, we if if we have uncontrolled transmission in one part of the world, uh, we can have replication of virus, generation of mutants, creation of these new new variants, which are more transmissible and, and potentially threaten our, our vaccines. And so, this is something we've seen. This this is maybe our fourth time around. Um, you know, seeing this, so a lot of us, you know, were concerned. It really highlights the importance that we have to get it right. You know, we really ha- we can't we have to we can't leave anybody behind, whether you live in a rich or a poor country or wh- whether you're from Africa, Asia or, or South America. Mm. So you're talking about the consequences when distribution of vaccines um, has not been equitable. I think I saw a stat. Most low income countries have yet to achieve even 20 percent coverage with COVID-19 vaccinations. When you compare that with wealthy countries like ours, are closer uh, to, to 70 percent. And again, as you mentioned, because of the way our world is so interconnected, I mean, there's just we talk a lot about COVID fatigue, Albert, but this idea that, you know, so many of us are trying to do the right thing, but we we end up having this anxiety and fear when there's another surge. And it's just a, it's hard to to be positive. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about, you know, the the steps that we need to take in our state, as well as, you know, what you want to see our country take in terms of, of vaccine equity. And so I think the first, and I'm going to start globally first, um, 
you know, we, we do really have to get it right. And we have to invest not only in the health of ourselves, but the health of all people, you know, around the world. If we're going to get out of this reactive mode, every time we have a, uh, we have a new wave, we have to, um, you know, we have to react to it. We have to, um, you know, put all these non-pharmaceutical interventions. The disruptive effect is enormous and, and really laying down the tracks. And I would hope the Biden administration, as many other leading governments, will really uh, um, value the social justice issue of protecting everyone's lives to keep, to keep all of us uh, collectively safe. Uh, when we're thinking about the country, I, I really worry, um, uh, Lucy. We, we went through a devastating um, Delta wave. I remember we had hit the 400,000 deaths in the United States just, you know, it seemed like, you know, days ago, but it was, you know, last about six months ago. And then we got hit by the Delta wave. We're over 800,000 deaths here. And many of these deaths are happening among unvaccinated populations, you know, in, in regions of the country where vaccine coverage is low. And so these are all preventable deaths. And then we come closer back to home. And, and I just want to do a shout out to the Department of Public Health. And, you know, really what protected us from Delta waves and hopefully to this upcoming Omicron wave is really the fantastic uh, vaccination program. We have here in Connecticut, um, 80, uh, uh, a population that 88% has received at least one dose and 74% are fully vaccinated. Those are really remarkable figures and remarkable achievements. And that's, when it, that's what protected against us against Delta, you know, where our death rates were 20, 30 times lower than that of Mississippi or South Carolina. And that's what's going to protect us against Omicron. When we think about boosters, now the idea that if we want to be fully vaccinated, that's three shots, um, you know, talk more about the messaging of that. And, you know, should we be doing more to get that message out there? Yeah, so, Lucy, let's go back to the evolving scientific evidence. And, and we're still in the early stage. It's, it's been almost it's just been Thanksgiving where this hit, hit our awareness about the emergence of the Omicron, you know, from South Africa and its subsequent global spread. But what we are finding and what, what the evolving evidence is showing is that being vaccinated with two doses may not be highly effective against preventing infection or a mild illness but affords significant protection against hospitalization or death. And getting a booster even raises that higher, that protection against hospitalization and death, the severe outcomes and loss of life that we really want to avoid. But it also increases our protection against infection and in, in, in illness up to 70, 70 to 80%. So I think the bottom line is getting vaccinated is crit critical to protecting you know, our families, our communities, our children. And if you're eligible to get a booster, to get that as soon as possible. You mentioned the Department of Public Health. I think it's a little more than three out of 10 state residents are getting a booster. So definitely a room for improvement. Well, so I think that figure, I, I, I would look at it both ways. Uh, one way is, is that 32% um, of the people above 18 years of age have received a booster. Not everybody else in that other you know, 68% are eligible to get the booster. You can only get the booster six months after completing your primary vaccination series with two doses. So not everybody can can get the booster at this point, but it underscores importance. And and you know, as you're alluding to, Lucy, that you know whoever is eligible needs to get get the booster.
You're hearing Dr. Albert Coe here on Where We Live. Again, he's an epidemiologist, a physician at the uh, Yale School of Public Health as we talk about this latest surge. If you have a question, you can join us, 888-720-9677. And we also love to hear from you about you know, how you're planning to spend the holiday. Uh, so many of us looking forward to seeing family and friends and uh, now this COVID surge, putting the uh, monkey wrench right to, in some plans, but people are scrambling, trying to think about ways to be creative. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, now, as we, um, when we think about the holidays, Albert, uh, oftentimes we're told, you know, don't talk politics. But lately now, because uh, vaccinations have become politicized, uh, not everybody within a family um, may feel comfortable getting vaccinated. And so, you know, how would you suggest approaching that uh, this holiday, especially if there are members of the family that are unvaccinated? Because it can be tenuous at times. Yeah, I think, Lucy, and, uh, you know, I, I can imagine what, you know, when we think about what COVID has done to, you know, not only our, our, our state, but our, our communities and our, our families, you know, there's this, this differences of opinion. And I think the first thing, and at least I, I, when, I, you know, my, when I talk to my patients, when I talk to my family members and friends, the first is to engage in a dialogue. Uh, and, and based on respect, uh, because many of the concerns raised by people who uh, are refusing or hesitant about getting vac- vaccinated are, are, are valid concerns. And I think we have to start the dialogue with that understanding that there are valid concerns and uh, in that, that as a starting point. Uh, I think the second thing is about considering recruiting people um, who your family members who are hesitant about taking the vaccine trust. You know, whether the healthcare providers or, or the spiritual leaders. And I think the other issue is is that you know there's really not a single approach or a magic bullet to 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 really promoting you know really the this great public health and scientific achievements supported by vaccines. But there's several key messages can be made. One is is that we need to protect our children and we need to protect our children against COVID so they can go to school. Um, our research you know research has shown that the, there's a, you know, what really resonates with people who are hesitant about being vaccinated is the, this issue of collective importance, that by them being vaccinated, you're protecting their loved ones and their family, and you're protecting their friends and family, you know, fam- friends and as well as the people in their communities. So I think those are all the kind of levers that we can use when we're entering that dialogue based on respect uh, and really addressing the concerns, whether they're the evidence of its effectiveness or its safety or or just the issue of trust. Kathy tweeted, uh, she wants to hear from you about the chances of long COVID after a mild case. What can you tell her? Yeah, so that's still an evolving, um, you know, uh, an evolving field of of research and, and, and discussion. Uh, what we do know now is that there's a proportion, and maybe a sizable proportion, 10, 15% of people who've gotten COVID can have persistent symptoms. Um, they can be respiratory symptoms, but they also can be um, symptoms outside of, of cough, you know, cough, difficulty breathing, um, such as brain fog and so forth. But those may occur for 10 to 15% of, of, of the people uh, up to three, four weeks after they've been infected. Uh, the majority of these people go on to resolve. Uh, there is a group that are these long-term 
COVID, you know, that go out for months uh, with symptoms. And, and active research is being done to really understand, is this really, is COVID the causal, you know, uh, is the cause of these these symptoms? Or are there, is there a combination of various effects, including other comorbidities that contribute to this? Mm. Before we uh, end, uh, again, Dr. Albert Koh uh, from Yale, um, there was news just the other day, the FDA has authorized Pfizer's first antiviral pill to treat COVID-19 at home. Talk about the significance of this. Yeah, so this is like vaccines. This is another, um, this is another major scientific and, and public health achievement. And, and we really have to, you know, look at what we've you know, what were the accomplishments over the last two years and vaccines and, and this oral reagent is, is um, a oral antiviral reagent is a good example. So, you know, yesterday um, the FDA approved um, under emergency use authorization, the use of Paxlovid, which is produced by Pfizer. It's highly effective in reducing the risk of hospitalization death. It reduces that risk by 88%. Uh, and it's available for use for, for people above 12 years of age. Uh, there are a couple of caveats with that. The first one is, is that you really, you know, in order to get that effectiveness, people have to take it within the first five days of illness. That really means that people have to get tested quickly and uh, diagnosed quickly and prescribe the pill in order to get maximal benefit. Uh, the second big issue is, is that, you know, this has just been approved and it's going to take time to scale up and roll out. Um, there are projections that um, there's going to be supplies for about 256,000 treatments with uh, Paxlovid, um, this new oral antiviral agent for COVID. We have over 200,000 cases a day. So understanding is the one big feed is going to be who gets the priority to get it first. And then how long will it take to ramp it up so that this could really have a widespread uh, public health benefit? That's good to hear. Uh, Dr. Albert Coe, uh, before we let you go, what are you looking forward to in 2022? Well, I, I think uh, there are two things. One, one is is that, uh, you know, I, I, as I mentioned before, I, I really think we need robust multilateral efforts to keep the whole world safe. If not, we're going to be undergo, we're going to have continued waves of these, um, of these, um, of uh, of COVID and, and uh, due to due to emerging variants, and so we really need to lay down the tracks and for the long term battle against COVID. This is not going to be over, you know, in the in the short term. And then the second second thing is is that you know it goes back to how do we best protect you know the most vulnerable in our populations, and, and that the crux of that is going to be uh, getting vaccinated, wide access to testing wide access to these oral antivirals uh, so that we can try to get back to normal and uh, in this next year. So those are my two aspirations, my wish list for, for New Year's. Well, we appreciate hearing from you here on Where We Live, Dr. Albert Coe, a physician and epidemiologist at the Yale School of Public Health. We hope you have a nice holiday. Thank you very much, Lucy, and best wishes for your New Year. Thank you.
We also want to hear from you. How are you making plans to see family and friends during this latest COVID surge? Our colleague Holly told us she's heading to Cleveland with her husband and daughter to spend time with family. Uh, they're going to stay in Homewood Suites where there's a full kitchen. They're going to bring all their own food, no eating out at restaurants. And they plan on having catered holiday gatherings one by one with four different family groups, which means no more than five or six people, including them per group. Everyone is vaccinated except one family that has a two-year-old and a newborn, and they plan to gather outside on porches or in screened-in sunrooms, and they'll mask in enclosed spaces. They've also agreed to take daily at-home COVID tests starting Christmas Eve. Thank you, Holly, for sharing those plans. And what are yours? We want to hear from you. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking about holiday planning, especially with this latest COVID surge. We'd love to hear from you about how you're adapting 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We asked our colleagues at Connecticut Public to, to share their plans. Uh, Bill writes, for me, this year will be much like last year, Christmas, but smaller, where we normally have a lot of people over. We're only hosting a handful of people, all of whom we're requiring have been vaxxed and boosted. It's a bummer, as when numbers were trending well a few months ago, I was looking forward to going all out this Christmas. <laughs> Me too, Bill. But what are you going to do, right? Make the best of things and hope that 2022 looks better. Now, making the best of things is the right attitude. It's not always easy to do. Are you feeling disappointed or overwhelmed with the COVID surge around the holiday? Have you thought of creative ways to still gather? We'd love to hear from you. Again, the number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. 
I want to welcome back to the show on Zoom with us Rabbi Deborah Cantor from B'nai Tikva Shalom Synagogue in Bloomfield. Rabbi Cantor, welcome back. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We love to hear from you, especially about um, ways to gather and why they're important uh, to be with our uh, families and with the community. Uh, before I hear how you have um, worked uh, to help soothe uh, your members of your synagogue in this latest surge, how have you been preparing for the holiday, Rabbi? So I want to stipulate that as uh, a Jewish person, I um, I celebrate, I don't celebrate Christmas, although uh, Christmas Eve falls on the Sabbath this year, so I certainly will be, uh, will be doing that. And nevertheless, you know, not everybody celebrates Christmas, but all of us are part of this holiday season, mm -hmm. which kicks off officially, I think, with Thanksgiving. And it was just around Thanksgiving that you know, we began to be very worried about this Omicron variant. Uh, somebody said to me, you know, Rabbi, this is not the way I wanted to learn the Greek alphabet. You know, uh, these <laughs> each of these letters, <laughs> each of these uh, each of these variants. So um, for all of us, we think about this time period as first and foremost, a time that people have time off, that we can gather um, Thanksgiving, it's one of my favorite holidays, something that everybody shares across faiths, uh, across, uh, across uh, ethnicities. We all bring our own uh, kind of touch to, uh, the, to the Thanksgiving feast. And we normally in my family have a huge gathering uh, at my brother and sister-in-law's house. Uh, and this year was much, much smaller, and they required that everybody be fully vaccinated in order to attend. Uh, my sister-in-law's 93-year-old uh, mother uh, was there, and we're very conscious of um, what we what we can't do, what what is not a good idea to do, to gather in, uh, especially inside, uh, in large groups. And uh, even for me, uh, being a rabbi, um, you know, everybody has off uh, of whatever faith. Everybody has time off. My, my daughter and her boyfriend were supposed to come in uh, for the week uh, from, uh, from Chicago, but my daughter's not fully boosted and uh, they just, they can't do it. They can't come in. So I think there's a lot of disappointment and... I don't know, beyond the disappointment, a kind of weariness, you know, what this is going on for so long. And I'm thinking back to last year at this time, which, you know, we always do. This is the end of the year as we approach the new year. We always think, what, what was, you know, last year at this time, what was going on? Well, last year at this time, it was really clear that we were not going to gather. You know, that was, we were, we were inside and we were not going to gather uh, for the most part. And um, this year, it's a little different. I know when, when we um, had our big fall holidays um, in 2020, it was clear it was going to be on Zoom. Uh, nobody was going to really gather in person, if if at all, then then maybe outside. But those big numbers of hundreds and hundreds of people gathering, that was not going to happen in 2020. And there was no question about it. For 2021, it was really complicated because we had the Delta wave. Mm -hmm. And 
that was that was almost in a way more difficult than 2020 because then we we thought well should we do this should we go hybrid can we have any people together can we have some people together and it's very similar to what my good friends my christian colleagues are going through now just days before christmas when they would have the largest numbers of people gathering especially for christmas eve uh, services all of a sudden those big gatherings that were going to happen they can't happen in the same way right so that's you know that sudden shift is really hard and then people ask themselves wait a second wait a second is this are we go back to square one now Mm -hmm. when you were talking about the disappointment you know last year we were all looking uh, many of us were looking forward to the promise of the covid vaccine oh yeah and then there was you know then the whole uh who gets it when you can get it as a a parent of young children okay now my children are fully vaxxed we can go see grandma but yep. then still being told, you still have to be careful. We're not out of the woods yet, so to speak. That's well, that's the frustrating part. It's very tough. It's very, and, and I'm, I'm sure that Dr. Bonnier is going to talk about um, the, the weariness that comes from just dealing with uncertainty for such a, uh, an extended period of time and this kind of emotional roller coaster. I remember somebody early on in the pandemic said to me, well, I'm not going out until I'm vaccinated. And I looked at her in disbelief. Are you serious? That that could be years. <laughs> well, uh, that, I then came to that conclusion, uh, you know, a little while later, I'm not really going to do much until, uh, until I'm vaccinated either. And then miraculously, of course not from it's it based on years and years of previous research as well as you know uh, as well as the quick work uh, uh, done by scientists. Um, and then we were vaccinated and it was like, whoa, and I think there was about a five minute period as I recall in the spring. <laughs> <laughs> didn't last long, but about five a five minutes. minute period when we thought, oh, this is it. This is it. And so this is this roller coaster of, well, maybe this isn't it. Well, oh, now there's this, uh, you know, Delta wave. Now there's this Omicron variant. And so that roller coaster is really, really tough on, on folks. It's really tough for all of us. And I think the first thing that the first thing that we need to do always is to acknowledge that, is to acknowledge where we are. Somebody asked, asked me, you know, people ask me all the time, Rabbi, how can I, you know, how can I have a sense of hope? How can I, you know, get out of this, this feeling that, and the first thing is you have to acknowledge this is hard. This is really hard. It's not equally hard for all of us. You know, I, I, I'm, I was in a very privileged position. I was able to do a lot of work from home. My family, uh, my, my adult children and their partners moved in with us and almost all of us worked from home, except for my husband, who's a nurse. Um, and, and we were very fortunate. Uh, so that's not to say that, uh, the loss and the burden has been equal, um, uh, I appreciate Dr. Coe's interest in uh, the social justice aspects uh, of uh, what this what this pandemic has brought out. Mm-hmm. But I think first we need to acknowledge, you know, the loss, the disappointment, the anxiety, the weariness, 
let's first stipulate that, right? And uh, for, for all ages, you know, for little kids, for, for teenagers, for adults, for seniors, it's really hard. And then what do we do? Exactly. Once we acknowledge that, what do we do? You mentioned the roller coaster. If uh, listeners feel that they're also on a roller coaster these days, we'd love to hear from you as you think about this time to spend with family uh, between now and New Year's, 888-720-9677, or even close friends that you may not have seen for a long time. Uh, with me is Rabbi Deborah Cantor from the B'nai Tikva Shalom Synagogue in Bloomfield. Also with us on Zoom is Dr. Andrea Bonnier, a licensed clinical psychologist, uh, on the faculty with Georgetown. She has a new book out called Detox Your Thoughts. Uh, Andrea, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Now, we were just talking about acknowledging uh, where everyone is. You know, some of us are feeling hopeful. Some of us are feeling disappointed. A lot of us are always getting overwhelmed around the holidays. And so uh, what are your suggestions as we look to the, the what's happening around us and this idea that we still want to to be near the people we love? Yeah, you know, and I loved so much what Rabbi Cantor said about the first step being acknowledging, because I think the holidays provide such expectations. And I think, you know, last year, again, as she mentioned, a lot of us were saying, okay, we know that we have to be minimalist. We know we can't do our usual travel, our usual gathering. Let's make it cozy. Let's accept that this is very different than usual, and we'll make the most of it. And I think this year, there was a lot more hope that we could get back to how things used to be, the traditions that we used to love, the amount of interaction and groups that we used to love to gather with. And I think that's what makes this so difficult right now is that we're thinking, wait a second, this was supposed to be the time where we kind of got back to the spirit of before and we felt like we finally got a break. You know, it it strikes me so much how important that uncertainty has been on our psyches because, there's always been this level of not knowing when we would be able to actually have a semblance of normal again. You know, and I remember last year, a lot of times public health officials and and other experts would say, you know, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And I would keep thinking to myself, okay, but marathons typically, you know, when you're done, right? You can pace yourself, you can say, okay, I'm going to, you know, keep my energy for mile 26. And here's when I'm going to be putting my feet up at the end of it. Whereas this has been very unlike that the uncertainty means we haven't known or we think we're done. And maybe we're not done. And so it's worse than a marathon by far, as far as I'm concerned. So I think the first step this time really is acknowledging that this is hard. And and one thing about the holidays, I think, is that there is this notion where, you know, joy should subsume everything else. I think that's the way we work is we say, you know, merriment, festivities, you know, that eggnog, these lights, we're supposed to be grateful. And that's that we can be very all or none about it. And I think cultural expectations play into this, but I think it's really important that we really get back to a bigger picture of, hey, we can have multiple emotions at one time. We can have joy and sadness. And and people who grieve during the holidays or have had a loss, even way before COVID was a thing, have, have had to live with this duality. How do I find some sense of meaning here 
even if the holidays are really hard? How do I let love and loss coexist? How do I acknowledge the darkness while also trying to revel in the light? And I think that's true more now than ever before. Let's acknowledge this is hard. This is scary. This is frustrating. People are angry. People are missing other people. They're resentful. And we can listen to that and we can acknowledge that. And we can also honor our losses. And it doesn't have to mean that everything Mm -hmm. is perfect. But we also, too, can look for the smaller moments of joy, can look Mm -hmm. to sort of salvage our connection with people, can look, you know, for the deeper connection. Okay, we're scrapping our flights at the last minute. We're exhausted with Zoom. We don't want to do that. But maybe we're going to have a retro phone call where we just hear each other's voices, no pressure, no awkwardness of the big gallery view of 30 people on a link or whatever. And we're just going to say we love each other and take a breath. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect. We can let ourselves feel multiple things. And, and, you know, Rabbi Cantor mentioned teenagers and children too. I think it's such an important message for them to be able to say, hey, we know that some aspects of this are hard. It's okay to express those feelings. It's okay to talk about difficult stuff. It's okay to be, you know, upset that we're not doing this particular tradition while also being grateful that we still get to do this one. All of these things can can coexist because that's really what the holidays and what life in general can be all about during difficult times is that, you know, it's messy, but it's also beautiful simultaneously. And Andrea, we wanted to share, again, we asked our colleagues about, uh, you know, how they're planning and our listeners can join as well, 888-720-9677. Kaza wrote, you know, she's on the fence about traveling, but they have a holiday tradition with that video games take over Christmas. So on the 25th, my partner and I will be in comfy clothes playing Sid Meier's (laughs) Civilization all day. That sounds like fun. Uh, Jackie writes that that they're going to plan to have dessert around the fire pit outside for our family. And Jen shared, my family is all vaccinated and boosted. We will gather, although I will maintain at least six feet from my mom since I was recently at a very large gathering. So again, people are are thinking mm-hmm. about the situations they've been in. They want to be careful. They want to be safe. But the importance of having some connection, uh, that's important too. We need to take a, a quick break, but I just want to again ask our listeners, if you want to share how you've been adapting your plans for the holidays, the number 888 720-9677. We'll be back after a short one. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up next week, it's where we live's best of 2021. We re- re- revisit some of our favorite conversations, including the time we spent talking with some amazing explorers from the International Space Station to undersea exploration. We hope you join us for part of your holiday break.
With us today on Zoom, Rabbi Deborah Cantor from the B'nai Tikva Shalom Synagogue in Bloomfield, and Dr. Andrea Bonnier, a licensed clinical psychologist on the faculty with Georgetown. As we talk about the holidays during this latest COVID surge, we'd love to hear from you, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. Um, Andrea, you mentioned before the break, you know, even before the pandemic, you know, be being recognizing that holidays can still be tough for some, especially those who are grieving, but there'll be people that, even though we're talking about the importance of gathering and connection, you know, may make the decision that they're not going to travel. They may not be with anyone. And so how to uh, navigate the holidays when, um, you know, they may be lonely uh, because of the circumstance. There are a lot of people in this boat for the first time. And I think it's important to have some structure for the day, you know, some people are going to be alone by choice and, and, and that's maybe a different scenario where they're like, Hey, you know, pajamas and not cooking for anybody seems great. But the ones that really are yearning for gathering and not able to, I think having some structure for the day is important. So, you know, you don't have to have out an itinerary, but the day tends to look very intimidating and long if you don't have at least something planned. So even if it's, you know what, after I wake up and drink my coffee, I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to take a walk at 9 a.m. And then, you know, maybe I'll make a nicer lunch for myself than usual around 12. Or maybe I'll schedule a phone call with a friend around 2. Giving some preliminary structure for the day can be helpful. Because when I work with folks who are alone and not wanting to be, part of what's so difficult is just staring down that whole day and kind of maybe feeling like you might want it to be over, but it feels like it's going to drag. And another thing is too, you know, trying to find some moments that might be a little bit appealing. You know, maybe it is going to be kind of nice to to watch a certain show that you've gotten into, or maybe it is going to be kind of nice to wear whatever you want that's comfy or take a really, really long bath. So I think creating some structure and also asking people for what you need, you know, letting some people know, hey, I'm really sad to be alone this time. Do you mind if, you know, I reach out to you in mid-afternoon and and we just chat for a little bit? Or, hey, I know you're going to be with your family and busy, but, you know, can I check in with you a couple of times just to feel like I'm talking with somebody, you know, nothing big? Letting people know in advance what your needs are. I know this is really hard for a lot of folks, but people typically are going to be happy to feel like they've helped you. And that connection, even if it's just a few minutes over the phone, can be something of a balm. Also, too, finally, you know, if you want to have a complete sort of ignoring of the holiday, for some people, they say, you know what, this year I'm just, I'm not putting up a tree or I'm not sending cards and I'm just going to let the day pass and I'm going to order some Chinese food and I'm just going to do my thing alone and, and look forward to the next day. That's fine too. Really, you know, have some some compassion for yourself to do what feels most comforting. Mm. Rabbi Cantor is still with us. Uh, Rabbi Cantor, you mentioned you won't be able to see your daughter uh, before the new year. You know, how are yeah. you, uh, you know, I guess adapting to that? And when you think about holiday traditions that your family shares, you know, do you think any of those traditions might become permanent? The things we've tried over the last two years. That's a great question. And I love what Dr. Bonnier said. That word that jumps out at me that I've been using so, so often, the, the sense of compassion, um, compassion for ourselves, 
um, and looking at what is it we need um, and being kind to ourselves, not having these, you know, enormous expectations. There were people who at the beginning of the pandemic said, oh, okay, now I'm going to write my, my novel, the great American novel. And then having set this incredibly ridiculous expectation, you know, were then upset with themselves or why didn't I do this, uh, you know, clean out every closet. Um, and for holidays, so often what we have in our minds is some kind of hallmark movie, uh, you know, picture, or it has to look like, uh, you know, uh, Martha Stewart living. And aside from the pandemic, we have these pictures in our minds of what the, what a holiday ought to be, what it really is to celebrate a holiday. And that's just so ridiculous, you know, uh, all those things are airbrushed. Um, when we look at what it, what is it that brings us joy? Um, uh, what is it that we can, you know, setting aside all those Instagram photos and everything else, what is it that really brings us joy? Connection brings us joy. So what piece of connection can we salvage for this holiday? You know, so I'll be Zooming with my daughter. We'll be talking on the phone. I do get Zoomed out, you know, uh, like many of us. Uh, we'll be talking on the phone. Um, I, I think we look for traditions that we want to keep this year during this, you know, a continuation of, of COVID. Look for the, th the, for the traditions that we want to keep, that we can keep, and maybe some new traditions too. In my congregation, we usually have big, big gatherings for Hanukkah, indoor gatherings with lots of eating and celebrating and singing, all the things that, uh, that we couldn't do this year. So we had an outdoor gathering on Hanukkah and uh, we lit the menorahs, we had hot cocoa, we had a klezmer band and we had fireworks. This is not the first time that we've had fire our outdoor gatherings uh, since the pandemic began with fireworks. And so one of my congregants said, said to me, Rabbi, we need to do this every year. We need to always have fireworks for Hanukkah. And I thought to myself, this is just, this is delightful, you know, that now we've started this this new tradition, which I can tell you, you know, is not how uh, uh, folks celebrated Hanukkah in ancient times or even <laughs> three years ago. Right. So if you can look for something different and new to do and, um, you know, as Dr. Bonnier said, find, what is it that brings, you know, what is it that's going to be. Uh, be, be be compassionate to yourself and to others. You know, look for that piece of kindness. Do something for for somebody else. Um, you know, not only not only look at what is it that I need and 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 prepare for that uh, for for the for the holidays. So you're not sort of caught you know with this undifferentiated long day or long set of days before you, but also. How can I reach out to somebody else? Who's somebody else who might be in need of a call or a card uh, of some little treat? Um, I've been, I've been uh, driving treats over and dropping them off uh, to people. Um, my brother right now has COVID, and he mm -hmm. said to me, "Think about, think about how sick I would have been 
uh, a year ago, if I had caught this, before I was vaccinated and before uh, before I had my booster, he said, "It's it, you know, it stinks that I have COVID, but he's so grateful. It's not, things are not the way they were last year. It's hard, but we are not at square one anymore. So what did I do for my brother? I can't go see him. That would be the worst thing to do. Well, I made him chicken soup. You know, that I can do, that I can do. So I think there, there are things that all of us can do for ourselves and for one another, you know, um, and compassion and kindness, um, protecting one another in terms of, you know, wearing masks and, and being, you know, um, being really uh, careful to do the things that, um Dr. Coe said, we know what we know, the things that work. So let's care for one another, both in terms of our physical health, um, but also also in terms of emotional uh, and spiritual support. Let's do whatever we can, you know. Um, yeah. well, I hope that your brother has a, a speedy recovery. And it's good to hear this new tradition of fireworks for Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to share, you know, our producer, Tess Terrible, her father had COVID in November. He was hospitalized. He's home, thankfully, uh, on oxygen, but still recovering. And so Tess wanted to share the head chef and her family won't be able to cook, which means uh, she and her mom will be taking the reins, but following the orders of Chef Jim. I think you got it, Tess. <laughs> but I want to thank uh, Rabbi Deborah Cantor for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure to hear from you from the B'nai Tekvo Shalom Synagogue in Bloomfield. Thank Thank you, Rabbi Cantor, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year, and Merry Christmas to all who celebrate. And um, let's let's hope for good news in 2022. Let's hope. And also with us today, Dr. Andrea Bonnier, a licensed clinical psychologist on the faculty at Georgetown. Her new book is called Detox Your Thoughts. Andrea, thank you as well. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. Thanks. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Again, Test Terrible produced today's show. On behalf of our team and Connecticut public, happy holidays. We hope you and your loved ones stay healthy and you find some comfort this last week of 2021. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. We'll talk to you again in the new year. Mm-hmm.